0: Ladies, do you have high-end fashion in your closet that you're no longer wearing? Why not turn it into cash? Shannon Judd at Close Circuit and Preston Center would love to have your high-end brands. Just bring them over to the store, they'll take a look at them, and you can earn 40-80% to of what they sell it for. So if you want to turn items in your closet into cash, visit ClosedCircuit.com or on Instagram at ClosedCircuit. Welcome to the Bubble Lounge. I'm Nellie Shudo. And I'm Martha Jackson. And as you know, Texas women, we are known for big and beautiful hair. You all are. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done a good job of Well, I'm a child ju- of the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> well, one of my favorite shows in the 80s was Charlie's Angels. My friends and I love to play it whose show favorite show was that not <laughs> you know what I mean if you were a young girl in the 70s and 80s you had to you just that had to be your favorite well of course because it was about
1: about these beautiful women who were super strong and cool and badass
0: exactly I think that they were the perfect role models especially at that time because so many women on TV were just known for their beauty but mm-hmm. these were also smart and strong and take down the criminals.
1: Well, today we have on as our guest, Alana Stewart, who is best friends with Farah Fawcett, to talk about the Farah Fawcett Foundation and an amazing event that's coming up in a couple
0: weeks. It's coming up on October 20th at the Rustic, and the Farah Fawcett Foundation has uh, started in Los Angeles, and it's been doing events there for many years, and they have decided to bring it to Dallas because we are one of the most philanthropic cities in the United States. Mm-hmm. And also because
1: Alana and Farrah are bo- both Texans, Texas ladies.
0: Well, as you know, Fair Fawcett, uh, was diagnosed in the early 2000s with cancer and she ended up passing away from it a couple of years later, but she did a really great job of starting this foundation a couple of years before she passed away and her best friend, Alana, who's on today, uh. Became the CEO and has really grown it and made it what it is today.
1: Well, and she also recorded a lot of these moments with Farah.
0: Right. Farah wanted her to document everything. It started out as just being for her own use so she could remember everything that the doctor said. But then word got out about it and people really wanted to hear more and they ended up turning it into a documentary.
1: And guys, you can come celebrate Farrah Fawcett and contribute to fighting against cancer by attending this great event. We'll tell you more about it. So let's bring on Alana Stewart to tell us all about the foundation and about the event. Alana, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Well, I've met you before. I met you in LA at an event for you know for this charity and uh, just excited to have you here. And um, I guess we wanted to start by asking you a little bit about yourself. Well, what would you like to know? Well, you've been in the business for years in all kinds of ways. Tell us about that.
2: Well, you know, I am from Texas. Yes, I, I was. I was actually born in California. Then my mother brought me. We're, we're to all our whole family's Texas mm-hmm. from Texas, and I came here when I was fourteen months old, back to my mother's hometown, a little town mm-hmm. called Nacogdoches, Texas. And um, I was raised there. I was raised in Nacogdoches and moved to Houston when I was older. Then went to high school there and then joined Trans-Texas Airlines. (laughs) I don't know if anybody remembers Trans-Texas Airlines. That's been a while. I do not. (laughs) They've been out of business for a long time. I was an airline stewardess for about six months. I was terrified of flying. I'd never been on an airplane before. We were too poor to fly. So uh, it was my first experience flying. And I saved up my money to move to New York and model. And I moved to New York um, when I was 19 and started modeling and then ended up migrating out to California when I met my first husband. So that's how I got to California and spent so many years there. And your first husband was who? Well, it was George Hamilton. We met when I was modeling in New York and started dating. And I eventually moved out to California uh, to be with him. And we got married and had a son, and we were together about 10 years, and then we got divorced, and I was a single gal for a couple of years modeling, and um, and then I met my second husband, but before that, I uh, I met Farah because mm-hmm. when I was modeling before I even married George, I was modeling in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and Farah and I used to be on the same commercial interviews together, mm-hmm. and we'd always see each other, and we'd kind of smile and say hi, but we didn't really know each other, and so then Charlie's Angels happened, and the Red Bathing Suit, and she kind of shot to fame, and and I ended up marrying George, and then years later when I was married to my second husband. I know you're going to ask who that was, so I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Rod Stewart. (laughs) I love it. So Rod and I were married, and I was pregnant with uh, my first child with him, Mm -hmm. uh, Kimberly, and we went to a party. And I met Farah and Ryan again there. We sat with them at dinner, and she and I struck up our friendship then, and we talked about the modeling days and all the things that had happened to us since. And we became friends, and we have been friends for— we were friends about, I would say, 30, 35 years when, when Farah passed away. Wow. Well, as
0: somebody who absolutely adored her and worshipped her as a young girl, I am just so fascinated. I just think it's so amazing that you were able to cultivate a friendship with, with Farah.
2: Well, you know, she was such a Texas gal at heart. I mean, and and so was I. And we had a lot of likes and dislikes that were very similar, and we loved to cook, and we loved Southern food, and we loved Tex-Mex food, and, and we just became closer and closer through the years. And... Eventually, we really became like sisters.
1: Well, you're both really real people. In addition to your fame on the side, you're both very accessible people.
2: Well, that was the great thing about Farah. She was just like your girlfriend at, in high school, mm-hmm. you know, the the one you put your hair rollers in and, and you know, went to the shopping center with. <laughs> and, and that's the way she was, and that's kind of the fun that we had together. I mean, we would go down to the beach to to their beach house down there and spend the weekend alone just have like a girls weekend and get manicures and pedicures and read fashion magazines and you know just do like girl things she she was fun everybody that knew Farrah well loved that fun nature that she had she was always she was always just very real I've seen some interviews with her, and
0: you're absolutely right. that's exactly how you would describe her and she um, had a very artistic side to her too, right?
2: Yes, okay. she did. She started uh, at the University of Texas and she was going to major in art, and she did major in art and she but Hollywood called I think they discovered her after her first year in college and she moved to California. She was a very, very talented artist. Uh, not only drawing and painting, but sculpting, mainly sculpting.
1: Well, and as an actress, too. I mean, I I remember The Burning Bed, which uh, to me was just such a beautiful performance by her. And I think a lot of people were surprised because of Charlie's Angels that she was such an artist.
2: Well, I think people were surprised by that because that was her first really powerful serious role. Mm-hmm. And before then it'd been Charlie's Angels and you know they were all more frivolous roles. Mm-hmm. And but she always wanted to be a serious actress. She wanted to be taken seriously in her art. But and then she went on to do many things acting, obviously movies and TV shows and um a lot of wonderful body of work that she had. But the thing that she loved about being an artist, and she continued to sculpt um, and to do her art all her life, even until right before she died, because she felt that was the one thing that was totally hers, that mm-hmm. she could take something from start to finish and no one else had anything to do with it. No she agents, no managers, no. just her and and she the didn't sculpting. have to read somebody else's script or say their lines mm-hmm. or, you know, this was just her from start to finish, and I think that's why she loved her art so much.
1: Well, other than modeling, where you guys met, uh, did you have other opportunities to work with her as an actress?
2: Well, there were a couple of times where there was there was one. She did the uh, small sacrifices in mm-hmm. Canada, and she had me come up and do one of the roles. Mm-hmm. And then when she went to Austin to do um, the substitute wife, uh, I went with her too, and I did a small role there. I was down here here in Texas for about a week.
0: Mm-hmm. So you and Fair are real really great friends and then eventually you found out that she was sick and how did she tell you?
2: Well, first of all, fair was the last person in the world you would expect to ever get cancer. I, I don't know why I say that, because that's the way I felt then. But, you know, cancer doesn't pull any favor. It doesn't as discriminate. As everybody knows, it's a real leveler, mm-hmm. you know. And I was in Germany, actually, at a, at a clinic with my kids. It's kind of a rejuvenation clinic. And they treated a lot of cancer patients there. And my daughter came into the room, and she said, Mom does Farah have cancer? And I said, no. I said, she said, well, I just saw that online. I said, oh, that's that nonsense. You know, the National Enquirer is always printing some kind of BS. And I said, of course, it's not true. But I had this kind of weird feeling and I called her and she came to the phone. It was a long time. She picked up the phone and I said, are you okay? Sorry, this is hard. And, um, she started to cry, and Farrah never cried. You know, she was very strong. And she said, and I knew then when I, I, And she said yes, and she told me about it, and she'd been diagnosed with anal cancer with a very large tumor, and they wanted to start radiation and chemo and everything right away. And I truly was in, in shock, and um, I went back to L.A. early so I could be with her when she started um, her treatments, and she went through six weeks of brutal, brutal treatments, brutal radiation and chemo. And um, at the end of it, she was very, uh, very debilitated. Three months later, they cleared her. They said she was cancer-free, and so we were so happy. I mean, she was so happy, obviously. And unfortunately, three months after that, the cancer had come back and it had metastasized to her liver, and she had like eight or nine tumors in her liver, which at that point was pretty much of a death sentence. I mean, they felt that she had maybe a year to live. Mm -hmm. And she said, I want to do something different. I know you really believe in this clinic in Germany, and I said, look, you got to talk to them and see what you think. You know, this is a decision you have to make. I, I don't want to be part of it because, God forbid, I could be wrong. She talked to the doctors in Germany. They felt like they had some treatments that they weren't doing in this country and that, that they could help prolong her life and maybe save it. And she was on a plane immediately. Um to Germany, and the first day um, that she was there, she and Ryan came together, and the first day they were there she handed me her little camera and she said, here, will you film the doctor's meeting because I want to be able to remember everything. They're telling me so many things I can't remember it all and I want to document it for myself. So I didn't even know how to film anything, first of all. I'd never even used a a little movie camera, so she gave it to me, and I started filming the doctor's meeting, and then we filmed everything from then on just for her, you know, the, the procedures and German clinics and things, and she was there for about two or three weeks the first time, and... Came back to LA and we went back to Germany six more times during the next three years. And I do think that they prolonged her life for for at least two years. And and, you know, they perhaps if she had found it in time, she might even be alive today. Well, and I I find it
1: fascinating that the Farrah Fawcett Foundation, Ural's Foundation, uh, does focus on alternative Solutions to cancer and clinical
2: trials, et cetera, correct? Well, we, we do that. We support cutting edge research. That's mm-hmm. the main part of our mission because that was the thing Farrah wanted to do. She felt there were so many cancers that were under researched, like anal cancer. Yes. But the other part of that is we do, we also promote early detection, prevention, awareness because that's so important. That is key. As I said, Farrah might be alive today, but she had these symptoms. And she ignored them because her mother was dying in Texas. And so she came back here, and she was very focused on that. And um, she neglected herself because of the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And when she finally did go back to L.A. and go to the doctor, that's when she had stage 4 cancer. Wow.
0: You were with Fair through all of her treatments, and you were doing documentary filming for her own use. But you turned that into a documentary for the world to see and basically be able to follow along with the journey and see how what cancer looks like from the other side.
2: Well really basically what happened was people in the business networks and things started hearing that we were doing this film because there had been something on Entertainment Tonight about it. Mm -hmm. And they started coming to Farah and asking her, you know, if we could put together a documentary that they could air. And it was the last thing she'd ever thought about was sharing her very personal, intimate journey with the world. But she'd gotten so many letters from fans and things telling her how inspiring she'd been that she'd come out and talked about her cancer publicly. Because the other part of this is, anal cancer had a real, um, a, you know, a lot of people had such a stigma to it. People didn't want to talk about anal cancer, and Farah was on the front page, front cover of People magazine, talking about anal cancer, and so a lot of people wrote to her and said, "Thank you. I mean, you were such an inspiration to me. I'm no longer embarrassed to say that I have this cancer." And so she felt that by doing the documentary that she could really maybe help people and inspire people. And she was a real fighter. You know, her belief was she was going to beat this cancer. Mm-hmm. And that's what the documentary was meant to be about, her beating the cancer. And unfortunately, life took a different turn, and she didn't beat the cancer. But that's how the documentary was was born. And then eventually she made a deal with NBC and, and – um, It came out in May of 2009 to record-breaking audiences. It was nominated for an Emmy. She died in June, so it came out a month before she died. But she was able to see it. She was very happy with the way it turned out. And I think it touched so many people's lives from so many points of view because we just filmed this, the two of us, with a little handheld camera. We didn't have lights and, you know, makeup and directors, and we just did it mm-hmm. ourselves on our own. And I think there's an intimacy about it that's very special. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think it, it's so important for people to see the behind the scenes. Um, I've lost two family members right in a row to cancer. And towards the end, I found it very hard to know how to act and what to say and how to comfort them. And I think it's wonderful to get it out there so you can see the other sides of things.
2: Oh, my gosh, you you have no idea uh, it is so, as hard as it is for the person going through the cancer treatment, it is also very difficult for the people around them, their loved ones, Mm -hmm. caretakers. uh, Because as you said, you often don't know what to say. You don't know how to act. You know, I felt like I had to be very strong for her because she was very strong. You know, there were a few times where she would Breakdown and tears, and and even in those moments, she'd say, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't, you know, I don't mean to cry." And I go, "Are you crazy? You're the strongest person I've I've ever met." Mm-hmm. And but, you know, I wanted to go to my room and 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 cry, which sometimes I did, but not in front of her. I was, you know, I had to remain strong and positive, and you also have to be an advocate because. With nurses and doctors and hospitals, mm-hmm. people really need someone who's there fighting for them. You know, yeah. Um, especially in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. You know, here as well, but especially in a foreign country. But. We filmed everything, and there were times when I would say, I would turn the camera off when she'd be very ill, if she'd be throwing up or something, and sh- she'd say, no, no, turn it on. This is what cancer is. If we're going to do this, let's let's do it. Let's document it. I want people to see exactly what this is.
1: Well, I, uh, that leads us to the question of, how did you start the Farrah Fawcett Foundation, and when was that?
2: Well, Farrah started the foundation when, after she was diagnosed in cancer, and I'm going to say right around 2007. She was diagnosed in 2006, toward the end of 2006. And she started the foundation, and she wanted to do the things that, that we're now doing. She wanted to fund cutting-edge research, and she wanted to make people aware of early detection and prevention and how important it was and she also wanted to help people that are struggling with cancer today which is part of the reason that we're in Dallas now for for Hope Lodge but that was a very important piece of her mission and you know she didn't get a chance to make the foundation, you know, to get it up and going while she was sick because she was so busy fighting cancer. But her intention was to run it herself and to have me and some of her friends involved in it, you know, on the board working with her. She envisioned going to Washington and lobbying for cancer causes. And obviously that didn't happen. And after she died, her estate, came to me and said, would you be the president of the foundation? Mm -hmm. And I thought, my gosh, I don't know how to run a foundation. I know nothing about it. And I called a friend of mine, Sherry Lansing, who Mm -hmm. had run Paramount for many years. And when she left, she started her own foundation. And she's one of the founders of Stand Up to Cancer, Mm -hmm. along with Katie Couric and another group of women. And she said, yes, you can do this. She said, you're smart. You'll, You'll learn. You'll figure it out and i did mm-hmm. you know we got the proper people attorneys and things and learned all the rules and and that was in 2009 and you know here i am well, <laughs>
0: here you- love that she was able to at least start it because most times a foundation isn't started until the person is no longer here. So I love that she had the vision and she could pass along to you what she wanted it to look like. And then her best friend takes it over and has grown it to what it is today.
2: Well, that's why I feel it's so important to do the things that Farrah wanted to do. I mean, we talked a lot about the foundation. She was very passionate about it, and she knew what she wanted to do and how she wanted to help others and, and that type of thing. So I feel like today we are carrying out her mission. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it's not something I ever thought would end up being a actually a career because it's a full-time job, and, and I love doing it because I feel like it's, it's giving back and it's helping other people who are battling cancer because I saw up, clo- up close and personal what this disease is like, well, and it's horrifying.
1: Yeah, it is horrifying, and I've lost both my parents to cancer, and I so oh, agree with I'm you about so an sorry. advocate. You know, having an advocate is so important, but um, I have a question for you. So you've held events in Los Angeles. Is yes. Dallas your first satellite event?
2: Uh, well, it's our first really big event. Yes, we. the reason we're in Dallas is, is twofold. First of all, Farah's a Texas gal, mm-hmm. and people keep asking us when we're going to come to Texas and do something. Mm-hmm. But why Dallas? In 2016, we came here to do an event for Hope Lodge. And I have a friend, John Terlingo of Terlingo Cycle, and he actually brought it up to us. And he'd been a big supporter of Farah's and done... Rides at his studio and things and sold t-shirts, Farrah t-shirts and things. Um, And so it was his idea to do this event here and to give the money to Hope Lodge. And Hope Lodge was in the process of being built then in 2016. Mm -hmm. And so we did. We came here and we did an event. And I'm going to say it was about maybe 50 people, something like that. Anyway, they raised $100,000 for, and they dedicated a room to Farah and her name at Hope Lodge. So we were kind of we were kind of in on the very beginning with Hope Lodge and when we decided to do an event in Texas, we said, well let's go back to Dallas because mm-hmm. we have a connection there. And so fifty percent of the funds will go to Hope Lodge and fifty percent will go to Stand Up to Cancer, who are our scientific partners. Mm-hmm. So we kind of filled both parts of the mission, we give to the research that we're doing with Stand Up to Cancer. We have a a research team for HPV um, head and neck cancers. Mm -hmm. And the other part will go to Hope Lodge to help people that are battling cancer today.
0: So we have John to thank for bringing the event to Dallas, but let's get to the fun part and tell us about the event because I've been reading about it for weeks and I literally cannot wait for it to get here.
2: Oh well, I'm really excited about it, and I, I a little bit nervous since it's our first big event in in Texas. Um, it's going to be really really fun. I think we're doing it at the Rustic, and it's called the Tex Mex Fiesta. And we've done we've been doing it every other year in Los Angeles since uh, 2015, mm-hmm. and it's Farah loved. Tex-Mex food. And so did I. Of course. So we wanted Texas to do girls. something that was representative of her, not just, um, you know, another black tie chicken dinner event at a big hotel in Los Angeles where they have all the events. So we decided to do the Tex-Mex fiesta under the stars at night, kind of a country western Theme and it was a big hit in L.A. Everybody loved it. They loved not having to get all dressed up fancy. They could put on jeans and boots, and yeah. you know the ladies kind of got a little glamorous. But mm-hmm. and I'm sure they will here too. Yes, uh, of course uh, it's, it's Dallas. but I think it's going to be fun. We've got Cheryl Crow headlining. You can't be that. No. <laughs> yeah, we might have a couple of surprise guests um, as well. And uh, my ex-husband George Hamilton is going to MC it. Oh, that's great! Yeah, well, we're going to kind of co-host it together. He had no no choice. (laughs) I I I talked him into it, and I'm I'm co-hosting the event with Jacqueline Smith, who was uh, Ferris co-star in Charlie's Angels, Mm -hmm. Kelly. Yes, 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 <laughs> and she's just gorgeous, and she's wonderfully supportive of the foundation. She's she always has been, and she was wonderfully supportive of Farah too, always. Mm-hmm. So. Um, And who else do we have with Morgan Fairchild coming, who's a Dallas gal? Mm -hmm. And we're honoring Linda Gray. Very nice. I I think everybody in Dallas probably knows. Of course. Sue Ellen is. (laughs) Dallas. Yeah, from Dallas. (laughs) And she lived here a lot. But, you know, she lost her son a few years ago to cancer, Mm -hmm. and she's a big supporter of cancer causes and a wonderful, wonderful, incredible woman. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be a fun evening. So,
1: Alana, the date and uh, where it's going to be and how do people get tickets?
2: October 20th at the Rustic and go to our website, uh, www.thefarrahfawcettfoundation.org. Thefarrahfawcettfoundation.org.
0: Perfect. And as always, I will include a link in the show notes for
2: you guys. That would be fantastic. Yes. And I uh, hope to see everybody there. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. It has been so fun and such a pleasure to hear you tell the story, and I appreciate everything you guys are doing, and I can't wait to get the word out.
2: Well, thank you so much. It's so nice to see both of you and to be here in Texas.
1: Well, you two, you've, you, you were it was such a great interview, and also the work you're doing is so important. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: That's been another episode of The Bubble Lounge. I'm Martha Jackson.
1: And I'm Nellie Shudo, and we'll catch you next time.